0: Good evening and welcome to the 13th episode of Leadership Conversations in the Development Sector. I'm Michelle Deesa and I work as associate partner with third sector partners. The social impact sector is full of passionate leaders with innovative outlooks to the world's greatest problems. Our leadership conversations focus on the unique insights offered by these leaders as they share their experiences and move the development sector forward. Our host, Go Barefoot, is an interactive web portal dedicated to the social sector. It brings together individuals, NGOs, NPOs, and CSR arms of organizations with the mandate of creating a one-stop information website for both networking and knowledge sharing. The series is supported by Catalyst, an NGO which has been preparing young women for leadership roles to create equality in opportunities and bridge the gender divide. Also, we are supported by Third Sector Partners, India's only executive search firm exclusively for the development sector. Our guest today is one of the leading lights in the development sector. I would like to extend a warm welcome to Dr. Nalini Saligram. Founder and CEO, Arogya World. Arogya World is a global health not-for-profit committed to changing the course of chronic disease. Under Dr. Nalini's leadership, Arogya World designs and implements scalable science-based diabetes prevention program in schools and workplaces and uses mobile technology and social media to empower people to change behavior. As a tireless advocate for NCD prevention, Dr. Nalini leverages public-private partnerships and global platforms to improve the world we live in. Her story and that of Arogya World has been highlighted in a book, The Healthcare Game Changers. In 2021, on her watch, Arogya World was chosen to be part of the Google AI for Social Good effort. Dr. Nalini has a PhD in biochemistry from the Indian Institute of Science, Bangalore. She serves as the uh, on the dean's council at the Rollins School of Public Health at Emory University, and is an active with the task force of Women and NCDs, India Spora, the India Philanthropic Alliance, Foresight Global Health, and the Global Center for Healthy Workplaces. She's also an Ashoka Fellow. In conversation with Dr. Nalini is Sheetal Kakar leadership expert and executive presence coach for CEOs. Sheetal has trained over 75,000 professionals across Asia and has personally coached across over 1,000 CXOs in the past two decades. She has conducted workshops for diverse organizations across Asia and has been invited as speaker by leading B-Schools and professional associations. She's a best-selling author, and her latest best-selling book, Executive Presence, The Poise Formula for Leadership, is India's first research-based formula on this leadership skill. She's an active philanthropist and social entrepreneur. Over to you, Sheetal. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you. Welcome, Nalini,
1: to the session. It's an absolute pleasure and an honor to have you here. So, I'm going to start with my first question. Uh, You have more than four decades of experience in the healthcare industry. Our listeners would be very excited to hear your three biggest learnings as the founder and
2: CEO of Arugya World. Sheetal, it's a real joy to be here today. Thank you, Michelle, for the invitation and Sheetal. I'd really look forward to this conversation. So, when you said four decades, I was reflecting on it. My goodness, <laughs> I feel <laughs> so old. <laughs> um, but really, you know, my first learning uh, from um, the years with Arogya World has been um, that age is simply a matter of attitude. If you are enthusiastic and curious, have a zest for life and a zest sense of adventure, you're young. I was more than 50 years old when I started Rogia World. And, um, you know, uh, it really um, doesn't matter if you have a sense, a deep sense of purpose and you want to leave the world a better place, um, it doesn't matter how old you are. So that's my first (laughs) learning. Um, The second is, um, you know, leaders should seize opportunities. I think that's probably one of the best things leaders can do. Strategy is important, but seizing opportunities, recognizing them as opportunities and running with things is, is one of the hallmarks of being a leader. So um, we at Arogya World attribute a lot of our growth um, into um, to seizing opportunities, right at the launch event, for example, in 2010, um, um, I really um, moved very fast on a, chance introduction to somebody who had come to the launch party, who said, I can connect you with Nokia, and yes, or said yes, and said yes to Nokia's big request, and went to Emory University, got the content written with them, and then started our mobile technology. It was a chance introduction to someone at a party, (laughs) you know, that that led us to take up mobile technology in such a big way. Um, The other is, um, you know, purpose. Uh, I really feel um, if you uh, leaders should have a very deep sense of purpose and we all do in this sector. And that is one of the most beautiful things of working in the development sector. I get up every morning feeling so privileged that I get to do the work I do. I think it's I've been working for more than 10 years pro bono on this uh. uh uh, on our Obja world and our work and advancing that mission, seeing the difference we are making on the ground really fills me with joy. I am g- genuinely energized by what the day will bring for me every day. And I started on this as a Uh, from by being inspired by the life and introduction to a Dr. Bill Fagey at at Emory University. He was a professor, he was the ex-head of the CDC, a really big you know leader in global health. They introduced him as somebody who had conquered um, or eradicated smallpox and I said to myself what a wonderful mission Um, you know, to be more than somebody's wife or somebody's um, uh, mother or to be more than a player. I was working at Merck at that time, you know, in a big corporation Um, and to really take up diabetes as a very formidable foe that (laughs) I will put all my energy into and, and make a difference. And I'm really excited about the front row seat that I have had. Um, and to watch all the development in India and to be part of the um, the equation here, it's really exciting. But yeah, sense of purpose is, is critical and um, um, that is what drives us today. Wonderful.
1: Also, your energy and enthusiasm is
2: infectious. That's what Third
1: Sector Partners team have said. So yes, couldn't agree with you more. Um, I'm going to move to um, a very critical uh, aspect which is that the social and corporate, the divide between the social and the corporate sector is breaking. So what are some of the processes that the development sector can take from the corporate sector?
2: And of course, vice versa, what can they learn from the development sector? Yeah. So I have worked in both the corporate side and the nonprofit side. And um, what I think is important in the development sector um, to copy from the um, private sector is um, a sense of measurement. Measurement is important. Results matter. It's very often my colleagues and others will say, hey, I've done so much, there's so much activity, I've worked the whole week. Um, You know, that's fine, that's great, but what was the result? Um, You know, so the standards we put to measuring impact in the real world, that is very important. What difference did we make to uh, the lives of people? Yeah, we reached so many people with this much education material, but what did we really do to help them improve their health? That is important, but same standards for the team. Hey, what did we achieve? Um, so results matter, and that me- measuring that uh, measuring our activity is also really critical. Then business rigor, um, you know, accountability—that is something we can really learn from the corporations, and um, that not performing should have consequences. Um, very often in the nonprofit world, we don't move uh, with a sense of urgency. Um, So these are all things we can learn and um, the last thing I'd say is that we can learn how to build brands from the corporate sector and how to scale. They are incredible. They can sell sugar water (laughs) and make it cool and prized and coveted. And we really should see how to make fruits and vegetable intake. That's our mission is to prevent non-communicable disease, prevent diabetes through healthy living. So we teach people how to eat healthy food and what is the meaning of healthy food and what is the meaning of um, physical activity. Um, So these, these are the, Things we push. So how to make them cool and sexy, that's something I think we think very hard, uh, how to work with and copy um, the teachings from the corporate sector. The other way around, um, I think corporations can learn from nonprofits about motivating their people with purpose. So making them understand the mission uh, and, and really keeping people because people join companies now much for much more than a paycheck. So engaging with them, using and showing that they care for for the employees, as well as the communities they work in. And truly, you know, um, doing well by doing good is, I think, a really great mantra that they can copy and learn from um, the social sector. And then um, this Michael Porter's shared value is. I wish more companies would really embody that because you can um, make incredible financial progress while also improving the communities and countries and um, you know where you work. And that is becoming um, you know they can eradicate poverty. They can just stimulate social progress in all their uh, locations. So it's something that they should. Um, you know i wish they would do more <laughs>
1: wonderful superb to hear your comments on that i'm going to take it a step further and uh, we have seen during the pandemic that even governments had to work closely with both the corporate sector as well as the development sector whether it was vaccination drives or awareness building or using masks or any of that so what can the governments learn from the non profits
2: yeah um this is something I feel passionately about. I feel that governments um, should really consider um, nonprofits as a very important ally and especially in this phase of building India back better or building any country back better, the governments should really do something called multi-stakeholder collaboration. I mean, it really, the problem at hand is so big that no one can, can entity, not even the government can do it alone. So they need, they need allies, they need partners and nonprofits are very good partners in taking things to the last mile. And there should be that value and appreciation of um, this. Um, non-communicable diseases, for example, you know, affect this is a space I work in, they affect two out of um, two out of three deaths in the world are from non-communicable diseases. In India, diabetes affects three out of four adults in metros. And, you know, so you may not even know that you're diabetic or pre-diabetic and you're walking around, you know, three out of four are either diabetic or pre-diabetic. And so there is, the problem is so, so big, you can't treat you can't treat your way out of this. So prevention is very important, especially because we know that diabetes is preventable with three lifestyle changes. You have to eat right exercise and avoid tobacco. So one, when you know you don't need a new technology or a new vaccine, you just have to get uh, the message to people and make healthy food accessible, make the healthy living the default choice, Then there is, and, and that prevention is smart, then yeah. the government should really, really take it up, particularly now at, at the back end of COVID, because there are so many links that have been shown between COVID and diabetes as well. So preventing diabetes now is probably even more important than ever before. Couldn't agree with you more.
1: Technology has been a very big game changer in the social sector. So how has it impacted AroKya world?
2: So (laughs) it has really, we have embraced technology in every way. So we have built a backbone for technology and we use it for Uh, getting applications for our Healthy Workplace program, Uh, for example, for showing reports, for data visualization. Um, We collect our um, school's impact data. So we have a school's program. (laughs) I should tell you what we do. We take prevention to people where they live, learn and work. We call it the doorstep health approach. So we have a schools program, a diabetes, uh, a healthy workplace program, a uh, text message program, and a, um, a so- social media-led MyThali program. And all of these, w- you will see that we have, um, you know, but the backbone is technology. So it's not just for reports or um, collecting data that we use a technology, but we also. Um, you know, you really use mobile technology for education. So we did a 1 million person experiment with Nokia some years ago. And now we have used this M program in in many ways we're using WhatsApp. And as Michelle said, we've also started uh, using cutting edge technology like artificial intelligence to see how we can improve the effectiveness of our text message program. Um, to get, um, you know, more people to appreciate and adopt health behaviors. So the um, other thing is social media. We use social media for education, not just for promotion. Um, So we, we educate people on healthy eating. My thali is a picture of a thali that shows roughly what quantities of food, cooked food, somebody should eat. Uh, particularly women. And we do this to urban women, working women. Uh, We promote Maithali through social media. We have chefs on board, we have foodies clubs on board, and we've adapted it also to rural girls. So in every way we are using um, um, the the, uh, technologies. The last thing I'll say is schools. So when COVID hit, We had a schools program where we were going in person to schools and with our partners and getting um, the school children to understand the basics of healthy living uh, before their lifestyle habits are fully set. So we go to 11, 12, 13 year old, sixth and seventh grade children. And so that entire thing stopped because um, the schools were closed. So we digitized our uh, programs. Our programs are games and activities that the children play to really understand. So we adapted it all to e-learning games. And now we are working with digital programs to uh, reach school children in Goa, throughout the state of Goa, also um, in Maharashtra, in, in Thane district. So we are working hard um, to scale. Uh, The technology is helping us scale. It is helping us improve efficiency. It's helping us capture data and visualize the data. So we are using one. uh,
1: Yeah. So you've worked in the healthcare industry in both the US and in India. So it will be wonderful if you could share your views on how
2: both these countries
1: view the nonprofits.
2: Thank you, um, Sheetal. So the um, U.S., um, let's start with that. There is a real a value society plays, places on nonprofits. So they are coveted, they are you know, respected, there is an appreciation for um, the uh, work. They think it's great work that nonprofits do. Um, there's social capital associated with being a nonprofit, with being on the board of a nonprofit. Lots of executives work really hard, um, and galas and everything are very well attended. Nonprofit galas. So the IRS, um, which is the Revenue Service, Internal Revenue Service, also gives a lot of. Um, Slack cuts a lot of slack for um, the non-profits. So all in all, the government, society, everybody—you know—works in tandem to let these non-profits flourish. In India, <laughs> I wish if there is one wish, um, it would be that maybe there should be greater uh, appreciation for the value that non-profits bring because they have demonstrated it now, especially in COVID times, uh, as you said. But also because they are true, they should be viewed as true allies uh, to everybody, to the private sector, to the government, and, you know, can't do it all alone. And so if there was a little bit of a loosening of uh, some of the regulations and the, and the difficulties that uh, nonprofits find themselves in, it would be really great. Thank you. Donor
1: profile has also changed in the past few years and COVID has accelerated this change. Um, It'd be wonderful if you can share your thoughts on the funding and the donor profile in India, as well as of course, in the US.
2: Yeah, yeah. So in the US, the individual giver is the main source of funding for nonprofits. Uh, Corporations give about Eighty-eight or ninety billion dollars, um, and then uh, foundations give some, uh, or the other way around. Anyway, they are small, but the biggest chunk—more than three hundred, approximately four hundred billion dollars—is from individuals. So the individual giver is the big giver, and Americans, by you know nature, are and by upbringing, are very very generous. The average American gives four percent of their uh, annual salary to to non profits. Some sometimes in their own community. Very few of them, of course, to global causes. But yes, they do give a lot. In India, um, the the there is approximately equal uh, weightage given to whether it's a foundation or a um, Uh, corporation or uh, foreign aid or even um, the retail giving it's roughly equal I think the private uh, foundations are a little less and the others are a little more but they're roughly equal and what is exciting is that the um, high net worth individuals and the private uh, foundations family foundations are actually increasing their giving and that is an area of real growth and it is wonderful to see that the foreign aid is now not the biggest chunk of the um, uh, monies and that you know csr uh, is especially with the 2% rule is very exciting but also the individual giving is increasing in covid times the retail giving went up so much and it was exciting to to see that so i think it's um fair game to go after the retail giver to get, go after the uh, corporate giver as well as the uh, family foundations. And it's very, very, uh, it's a thriving uh, ecosystem.
1: Yes, that's very true. Last two years, we've seen a lot of uh, you know, donations and people have been pushing for causes. Somehow COVID di- did seem to, you know, bring out um, a lot more donation than we've ever seen, even of small quantities. So I agree with you. And uh, now COVID has also impacted leadership principles. So how has leadership evolved to rise up to this
2: challenge? Yeah. So um, today, I think we realize that we need thinkers, but we also need doers. So leaders today must be thinkers and doers, they must have strategy, they must be able to think, but they also have to pivot very quickly and and deliver, and COVID showed us that we had to move, you know, at lightning speed to deliver um, the solutions and the services. Um, And the other thing is um, collaboration. I really, really believe that, um, you know, we can't do solve these big you know, problems. We want to make deep societal change. We want to make population level change. Can't do it alone. So we have to work with other NGOs. For example, if we have a school, school health program and education NGOs are going you know every day to schools so we can piggyback with them we get a very smart way and low uh, cost way of reaching our content to schools and to school children at the end of the day they want to get the child educated to have a successful um you know and be a contributing member of society and so do we we want the child to be learn healthy habits and be a positive contributor to society. So there is you know, a, a real synergy there that we should do. We should also work with government, not be afraid of government. We should also work with the private sector, um, truly, uh, because there is, um, there is a synergy between all the players. So collaborating and working with all of them is very important. Um, and as I've said a couple of times already, you know, impact is critical. Has been critical, and I'm a scientist at heart. And for me, measuring impact is is core to, uh, you know, the fundamental value that we uh, as we ascribe to to impact in in ourogia world. So we really measure impact, um, reaching six million people across India doesn't mean much if you haven't helped them improve their health. But we know that our school's program improves, gets us 15% impact, our M-diabetes program improves 20% health behaviors. So there is a real, um, you know, uh, uh, idea of the difference we are making on the ground. And that's important, more important now than ever before. We should really think of ourselves as being in the impact making business. And the last thing I would say is um, fundraising. So I'm realizing more and more that raising funds is one of the most um, critical things today nonprofits uh, face. We are facing existential threats in some ways. So we have to be very, very um, uh, good at raising funds. We have to give it a lot of importance. But more than anything, we also have to be ready to pivot um, you know, to a for-profit enterprise, become a social enterprise, and you know, think think, because the world of finance and development is changing. And so we should be ready to uh, embrace all that. So. <laughs>
1: True, very true. And my last question to you is um, We have a lot of young professionals from the NGOs, NPOs, CSR cells of organizations, young motivated people from the sector who are a part of our audience. So, what is your advice to the rising stars of the social sector?
2: So, the first thing I would say is you must think big. You know, there is not much that comes out of aiming low in life in general so think big make big goals but deliver on them you know really think it through and deliver on them and you don't have to be big or be part of a big organization to think big you can you know take up hey i'm going to dedicate the rest of my life to defeating diabetes well, you know, that's a very, very big goal, uh, but you don't, You a single individual can take it up and, you know, really make a difference. Um, and that's, that's what I would say is don't, don't think small, please, you know, think big. Um, and then the really one person's vision can make a difference. So don't think that you have to be a big corporation or a big ngo to make a difference one individual can start a whole series of activities and and make a difference particularly in our space it's really exciting to watch how innovative people are you know just to give you one example we in the digital when we digitized our school program we found that it was very difficult to reach the digital program to the school children schools were closed And uh, so we went to our partners. Some partners started using WhatsApp groups, but hey, you know, the child has to wait for the father to come home and their phone is the only one. And as you know, it's the boys that get the first dibs at (laughs) that phone rather than the girls' child. So there's a lot of issues of even accessing the digital, uh, you know, technology. But one of our partners, they came up with something really exciting. They um, uh, decided to go into the village community because, in this is Child in Need Institute in the in Calcutta in the in the West Bengal area where they were working, the digital access was low in those communities. So they decided to go into the village community and deliver the program rather than actually, um, you know, uh, going to schools. So hey, it worked. So you can think you know, in a very innovative way, right at the community level and, and deliver and you know, implement your program. So that's the other one. And the only other point I'd like to make is use your spheres of influence wisely. Each one of us has a sphere of influence. We have a group of people we can influence. Um, you may be starting out in life, you may be, you know, at at the fag end of life, but you can really influence people. And you should use that spheres of those spheres of influence. Some people do it very well, some others not so well, but don't keep, don't keep it to yourself, really spread um, your words of wisdom and your um, ability, abilities, you know, really influence people to to follow you. And that I think is something I tell my daughters, (laughs) you know, there's no point. Um, We should live life to the best of our potential. Really nothing less less will do. So uh, we should, um, I hope I am living life (laughs) to the best of my potential um, really because that is the only way we should live. Wonderful,
1: wonderful. Uh, we have a couple of questions now. Uh, Yashi from uh, uh, the Yashi Saxena would like to ask you a question. So, could we please have the spotlight on
0: Yashi? Uh, Doctor Salira, I'm so nice to hear from you, um, and thank you for taking out your time and you know having this conversation. Uh, so, my question is that uh, you know your focus on lifestyle change is something that is extremely intriguing to me. Uh, what would be certain lifestyle choices uh, that you would say are most common among uh, leaders of today? So um,
2: really, uh, whether you're a leader or you're just starting out in life, honestly, the best decisions you can make for yourself are to eat right, exercise. And that is becoming the thing, I think, uh, also it helps you with grounding. It helps you with your mental uh, health. And in COVID times, it has become, for me, crystal clear. Hey, you can prevent non-communicable diseases. You can prevent diabetes. Uh, The World Health Organization says 80% of diabetes and heart disease can be prevented with three lifestyle changes. Eat right exercise and avoid tobacco. So we can do that then we can really, uh, you know, um, tackle diabetes. We can prevent, put ourselves in the best position to boost our own immunities and prepare our bodies and our uh, communities for the next pandemic. Um, So it is is becoming clear to me that healthy living uh, and making individual choices, as well as if you're a leader to make your company uh, if you're a, co- a corporate leader to make your company a healthy uh, workplace for example these are decisions that uh, we can make and we are faced with this every day every meal every time you reach out uh, to grab that um, you know snack y- you have to make that choice and it is it is not easy it is the holy grail it is the most difficult thing uh, behavior change is the most difficult thing but it is a it is a must So we start young, we start with school children, we go to workplaces where um, the average age is 25, so we need to get them all hooked on to healthy living before age 30, because that's when in India we start getting diabetes 10-20 years earlier than the rest of the world. So, we have a real problem and uh, we should tackle it with healthy living. Fortunately, as I said, we don't need a new vaccine or a new technology. We
0: just need to make decisions ourselves. Thank you, thank you so much. That's extremely insightful. Thank you, Sheetal, for this opportunity. Thank you, and uh,
1: we have one more question from Meenal. So, could we have the spotlight on Meenal, please? Um, yeah.
0: Um, hi, Sheetal. Um, uh, thank you, Dr. Shaligram. It was really nice to hear your um, views. Yeah. So my question to you, Dr. Shaligram, is um, as a leader, how do you really keep your team motivated despite a lot of obstacles and challenges, especially in the social sector when the challenges are multiple? So how do you keep your team really motivated?
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: So you know. Um... I think you, the unifying thing in our sector, is the sense of purpose, right? So we have, um, our purpose is in our, is actually embodied in our name. Arogya our world means we wish for a world of free of disease. So every day we are confronted with our purpose. Hey, we are working to uh, the uh, uh, free the world of disease. We've chosen diabetes, but it's it's any disease. And the people who join us also ha- are passionate about health, are, are passionate about making a difference. So I couldn't do this alone. Every single person who has joined us, whether it's on the Healthy Workplace team or the schools team or the Mike Halley team or M-Diabetes team, we, we have four key programs and we're starting a fifth, we are starting something called Arogya city, making Bangalore the first Arogya city. And it's really quite exciting to watch all uh, the people have the same, you know, sort of passion and sense of purpose. And it's just, you know, you, then it's easier to row the boat in the same direction. Uh, all of us are working to propel the ship forward and it's much easier to, to do that um when it's once in a while we it hasn't worked out and we have you know people have left us but by and large those who have joined Arugia usually stick around because of the work and the purpose and that's i think the most important uh, reason
1: thank thank you thank you and we have a question in the chat box uh, what is the most important trait you look for when you are hiring a new employee for arogya
2: yeah i i look more for um, values and this kind of a desire to contribute to health and to improving the health of people because if that desire is not there it's very difficult to really engage in our mission so that that is a very important i really don't mind so much about skills we can always teach them our program and and get them up to speed but if the core values and in our case integrity is a very important part of it you know we have to get a lot of work done but we do it ethically and we uh, you know are sincere about our measurements and our impact uh, evaluations so those, that, it's more the values and the sense of integrity that, uh, you know, and passion that I look for.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much. We've run out of time, but not out of questions. So thank you so much. Really appreciate the unique insights you've offered on leadership and wishing you all the best. And uh, thank you to our audience for joining us today. Thank you and stay
2: safe. Thank you. Thank you very much. I thoroughly enjoyed this. Thanks a lot. Thank you. <laughs>
0: Thank, you. Thank you so much.